Good morning and welcome to your Daily Game Face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon joining you here this morning in beautiful, sunny Methuen yeah. with Lou Blasey. The garden spot of the Northeast. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful out today, isn't it? It's nice. Yeah. It's so lovely and I have to work all day. Do you have to work all day? Uh, unfortunately, no. I'd like to have to work all day. Oh. <laughs> we can trade spots for the day. Okay, cool. I think I missed my calling. I, sh I should have been a... A therapist? Should have been a therapist, yeah. You should have been, yeah. yes. Okay, well, we'll trade spots and see how it goes. I'll go <laughs> sit by the beach. Oh, yeah, that's what's going to happen today. At Plum Island. Yeah. And then you can go do my job. All right, fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard on these days because I'm a sitter at my job, so... And this is going to be somewhat about the topic today, about, like, kind of your negative mindset. But um, I sit all day. And it's hours on end, so sometimes when it's beautiful out like this, I like to move it outside. So I, I was going to say, of, do you do outside sessions? So we do outside sessions. Yeah. I have a lot of people who are athletes and who like to go out and do walks and talks. And so we do movement therapy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, exercise therapy, um, and so a lot of, and then a lot of my athletes I get to go out and do stuff in the field with. So this is a nice time of year for me. Because it does get me up off my tush. Yay! <laughs> and I um, get to go out. So so some of my clients today will probably want to do a nice little walk, and that would be great. Nice, yeah. But um, but it is hard on the days that people that don't want to go out, and I'm looking at the window and going, <laughs> oh, no. So it's it takes a toll on the mental state sometimes. I can imagine. Um, so anyway, so how are you? I'm all right. Yeah? Did you yeah. have a good week? Oh, uh, okay, yeah. I have to, you know, get the last little plug in for the no snowy owl sightings that everyone else sees. That still, because they're they're all migrating. Oh, really? They're moving out now. And they're all moving out, and so I did not see any, but I've seen some beautiful pictures from everybody else that sees them, and they have been migrating through from other places and kind of stopping over at your lovely neighborhood. Well, I can uh, guarantee you won't miss the greenheads, the next <laughs> next animal population to take over the island. Yes. Well. Yeah. I could go see plovers. Plovers? Well, yeah, but yeah, people are very touchy about the plovers. Well, there's been plenty of pictures about the plovers. Yep. To say that three times fast. So, um, if people didn't realize, I like the birds. Yep. The birds are very nice. So, and the fur seals are out. The all the little all the little seals are out. Oh yeah, seals. Yeah, you can go all over, over the place. Salisbury Reservation. See the seals on the on the rocks over on there. On the rocks. Yeah. Well, there was an injured one the other day. Yeah, oh, was again, it? Yeah. Not the same one I saw, but it looked similar. But yeah. I guess called in. I saw it all over Facebook. You can go out to the end of the South Jetty, and they'll play with you too. They play Aww. hide and seek. That's a happiness moment. They pop up and look at you, and then when you look at them, they go under again. So they play. They play. Yeah. That's awesome. Seems that way. Well. If you've ever been to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, they are very large, and um, they will jump on back of your boat with oh, really? you and take fish from you. <laughs> and there's a there's a very large older seal. Um, I think he's actually I'm uh, he might be a sea lion. Well, nonetheless, he is, his name's Poncho, Poncho, and he sits on the rock at the end of the. Um, it's called the end of the earth or the end of the whatever. It's right there where the arches are. And he sits on this one little rock, and he's bigger than the rock. And when all the fishing boats go out, everyone's radioing ahead going, you know, he's he's behind the boat. He's oh, really? Behind, and he'll come and, and take the fish right off the line. So And he'll chase you. He's very funny. Poncho takes a fish tax. Poncho gets his, he gets free food. Yep. So yes, and they will, and they are very, they're very playful, from what I've heard. And I have jumped in the water to get to the beach, and they've been around, and so I wouldn't want to mess with them because they no. are, you know, they're in the dog family. Are they? Yes, I believe so. I could be wrong on that, but I believe they are in the dog family. This is what I hear from people in the Navy. Well, they're called sea dogs, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. See. Yeah. So the Navy people are right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, well, I don't know, but I, I can't, <laughs> we're just, I can't we're verify for the Navy people, but yeah. <laughs> Um, but I thought today, because this has been the theme of the week in my practice and sort of kind of goes along with all the, th the thought generations of threats, um, that we talk about negative mindset and how come people are so mindset generated into that all the time. And yep. um, since we had a theme last week of doing neurology and talking about the neural pathways, this was a really good spot because so many people are stuck 
in negative mindsets and I've had tons of people in the past week or two as I always do with new little topics or like refresher topics on people being stuck feeling stuck more like numb or talking about you know I'm calling it neurologically numb but yeah they're numb because they sort of haven't done anything in the past year so they feel like the whole year has been a blur um and actually people being fearful of going back out in the world so which is yep foreign to you and I because or you and me because we've been out in the world right <laughs> so for us it's like what do you mean but for so many people they really haven't gone out and they're afraid and um but just the overall general negative mindset that people have and it's not new it's not like pandemic related necessarily right. it's just people get um into a space where they often say well why do I think this way or why am I this way and and so well define your terms because I've often been accused of having a negative mindset and I don't think I do but so, well, so, so basics are negative mindset examples. All or nothing thinking is a negative mindset. Mm -hmm. So it makes it simple for everyone to kind of, as the listener field, to think, okay, so what is a negative mindset? It's when you have a very specific defense mechanism that comes up to protect you from fear of success or fear of failure, all those things, for example. So all or nothing thinking, um, catastrophizing, awfulizing, um, projecting, um, crystal ball, you know, it, mind reading. Those are all ways of getting mm -hmm. into that negative mindset. What negative mindset is, is the mind's way of creating defenses for protecting yourself from potential threat, perceived threat, generated what ifs yep. in your head of um, that something that might hurt you either mentally physically, spiritually, whatever it is. Okay. Um, and we get really good at it and it start and people say, I never was this way until I was thirty. No, it doesn't work <laughs> like that. <laughs> There's no it late doesn't onset. Work like that. It started when you were very, very young. Yep. Um, and so and it's it could be one example or fifty examples that happened to you. Um, it doesn't have people often say, Well I didn't have trauma and then people don't see trauma for the covertness of it they right. see it has to be really overt like you know the twin towers going down that's you know disaster and trauma or you know a plane crash or a car crash or no trauma can be um emotional deficits it can be when you're born if you're born it's like very common example is is you know kids that were born into orphanages for instance in romania right they're born put into orphanages they have emotional and physical neglect and deficit that's emotional trauma which leads to negative mindset that one can't get out of and it's learned helplessness so the child you know if you, everyone remembers back remember back when they did all the romanian yep. studies on the babies that were right yep. they were abandoned and stuff like very few kids made it out of there at all right because either they they did make it out with adoption and had tremendous emotional disability or they died because they were so emotionally neurologically stressed out that they were banging their heads, concussed themselves and then would pass away in early, early life. Um, but, you know, and all these things, I was just thinking all the different places that yeah. it goes in their head. So there can be a variety of ways that people become negatively mindsetted, but it usually has to do with some experience and perception that's created around the meaning that is made of that experience to then be like, well, I'm going to, if this is what it's like, then I'm going to anticipate that everything's like that. And then I'm going to go right down that path because right. it trains the brain in a neurological way, like a train track that here's the train track that gets laid for negativity and pretty much everything can fall into that rut and keep going. So if it looks like the duck and if it doesn't look like the duck, yeah. It's still the duck, and we're yep. going to just label it that. So it's all or nothing, you know, or I, you either love me or you don't, or I'm either worthy, worthy or not, or, you know, whatever it is, but it's whatever you put on it for your perception that makes it that way, and then you run with it. Yep. What do you think of that? What I think of that is the old joke. <laughs> you go right to – we go from <laughs> negative mindsets to joking. No, the old joke is uh, if, uh, if they're really out to get you, am I still paranoid? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I fall victim to some of those things. Like, for example, I hate at work or something like that where someone says, see me at the end of the day. And I, I will sit there and work that up. Right. You know, this can't be good. Or my own joke, I say it jokingly, I'll start answering the phone when people start calling me with good news. Right. That type exactly. of thing. So I see where I have that. But often, a lot of times, I'm just sitting there and I'm just working through the scenario. Right. I'm going, 
I don't think that's going to work. We should right. have, we should try something else. And people, right. maybe it's because of my some of those things that are more legit. I get that gets washed in a negative mindset when when it's right. really just working through the problem. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so and what happens? So if we just take pure negative mindset that people get stuck in, mm-hmm. one of the issues is they don't work through it. Is that they keep perpetuating and it spins like a top, you know, around and around and around and around. Like it goes back to what I we always talk about is we are not our thoughts. Right. But our thoughts in negative mindset case, which is many people, is you are your thoughts because you believe you're your thoughts, which become feelings, which become actions. Because you don't get out of the river. Right. Right. You're, Ex- you're swimming in the water. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, so to that metaphor is, you know, it's a great metaphor for anxiety that I teach my clients is that. You know, old school, great examples of, like, negative mindset is people who are anxious, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the ultimate in negative. If you're old school, you were taught anxiety can be stopped. I'm not a believer in that. That's not what I have come to know anecdotally. You mean just through emotional discipline? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that and, you know, yes. But more cognitive exercise, too, of just, like, stop thought, stop thought. Yeah, no. But stopping a thought doesn't stop the feeling. What you do with thought, it's kind of like grief. (laughs) Grieving will continue, but it's what you do with grieving over time that makes it go away or manageable. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with anxiety is that it's you can't stop a thought because the thoughts come. That's like when people believe meditation is stopping thinking. It's not. It's no. about channeling and managing the thoughts that are coming in and softening them over time with other thoughts that replace. So or it's, it's about handling those thoughts when they do come in. Exactly. You don't so, stop them. You just... Right. Or to, to continue the analogy, sitting on the river and watching it go by. Exactly. As opposed to swimming in it. So, yes. Yeah, so yeah. so the, the example that I give is that if you can imagine in your mind's eye that when you're an anxious person and you're and you're fighting anxiety and the negativity of the anticipation of whatever's coming at you that you think it's like salmon swimming upstream Hmm. they're swimming up the stream and what happens when they're swimming up the stream you've seen it like they try to get up and over and up and over and up and over well that's like a person trying to stop anxiety right what i tell clients and i'm telling you guys is that when you have something going on in your head like that Anxiety is anxiety. It's present. It's part of you. It's not who you are. It's just a piece of what happens sometimes with you. So instead of being the salmon that's swimming up and trying to get over to the other side and dying, trying, you're going to just let it ride back down the river, back down to the nice, calm, shallow pool where it's kind of everyone just floats around and just hangs there until it's calm and just soothing because it's safe there. No one's going to drown there. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of nourishment. There's plenty of people to support, you know, whatever metaphor it has to go around that. But it's not about the fight up the river to get over to the other side and possible um, metaphorical death. It's really about like letting go and riding it down the river, floating it down into the safe spot until it passes. Mm -hmm. And that's managing the negative mindset. Because it goes away from all or nothing, it allows for that piece in between, which is kind of the dialectical piece. You know, dialectical is taking the two opposing sides of something, trying to get over the top and trying to get to the perfect bottom, all or nothing, and really finding like the gray in the middle or the, the you know the space to float yep. down the river and allowing yourself through changing a thought process, giving a different perspective, generating a different way of looking at something. All of that makes that negative mindset drop away so that you can allow yourself to relax or have whatever comes that's better. But people are very wed to going up the river and trying to get over to the other side because the belief in society is, you know, you can stop it. You know, if you take this medication, it will stop it. But that's no. not, you know, if you're if you're an Ativan, Clonopin, Xanax, Valium, Librium, you know, all those, if those are all the meds you would take, that doesn't stop anxiety, for instance. That actually just puts a Band-Aid over some of the symptoms so you don't feel them right. physically as much, but it doesn't actually stop the thought. And thoughts are what drive that feeling from, hap- from for happening, which then leads to the actual whatever behavior. Withdraw, you don't go outside, you don't go do things because you're nervous or you're socially right. anxious or whatever it is. That thought goes to the feeling, which goes to the behavior. And so getting able to manage or handle... Um, the fact that you have anxiety is much easier than fighting it to stop it. I think I have that conversation ad nauseum all week long, all the time for 26 years. 
Well, the fight to stop anxiety just creates a whole new set of anxiety. Right. Well, yeah. It's just basically transferring your, transferring your issue. Right. Well, it's right. So it's like, and I talked about this yesterday with a client, and this is one of the things that stood out and why I brought it up today is because it's such a common thing about meta-worry. Worry about worry about worry. If I don't have that worry anymore, then what am I going to worry about? So I'm going to worry about what I have to worry about. And people really do this a lot. And as funny as it kind of sounds, because it seems like that's so ridiculous when you hear it out loud. And even when clients will say, oh, my God, that sounds ridiculous. Yeah. It's what people do unconsciously and subconsciously all the time because they're so used to doing it. And it's a way of reinforcing what they've already learned. It's like someone repeating over and over, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you'll yep. never be good enough, you're never good And now you're just doing it automatically. Well, that's the base worry of all anxiety. Right. Yeah, I can't handle this. I'm not good right. enough. Yeah. Right. And which, which goes to a message that was given, that was then interpreted or directly given and meant to be given that way, mm-hmm. way back in the beginning of a person's life in some way. You know, a teacher, a friend, a coach, a parent, you know, got to... Put those well, parents in there, it's yeah. usually parents, you know, giving that message of something that then gets interpreted. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, you'll get an adult that will say, oh, yeah, my parents said this when I was little and blah, 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 but it didn't affect me. But right. then you realize when you're talking it through, like the core belief system is this negative, completely negative mindset that is driven like at the core of what one believes about themselves because they've been taught that the world possibly might believe that about them as well so they adopt it as their own and that's what's underlying everything and when you have core beliefs that are i think of core beliefs as um like weeds so if if you have a field of weeds and we're not talking dandelions we're talking (laughs) weeds that are you know you know weeds are there they overgrow and they strangle and whatever and you try to plant seeds of of good flowers and healthy things in between that if you don't clear the weeds, those things can't grow. They'll start to, and you'll kind of see maybe one might pop through. Right. And, but by and large, when you look at a field of weeds, you don't have the, a lot of other growth because it's sitting underneath. You have to really clear that. And, and weeds, in the case of us as human beings, are negative mindset of core beliefs about ourselves that we aren't good enough, we're failures, we'll never be anything, we're not lovable, yep. we're bad parents, we're bad people, we should be ashamed of ourselves, we're not perfect enough, like, it goes on and yep. on and on. And and I, I don't know anybody that doesn't have some of that, but it's what person does with that negative mindset that then moves them forward. And it's hard, and people, and that's, and so that's where the debate about, I don't know if it's a debate, but sometimes it is, is, you know, do you do cognitive behavioral therapy or do therapy like what I do with people or do you just take medication? And I'm here to tell you that medication does not change the thought process. Right. <laughs> it will never change the bad thought and the image you have of yourself. Plus, It will ang- slow you down enough so yeah. you can do the work to do that, but it will not actually take it away. Plus anxiety is a dual diagnosis, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not just that. I, uh, anxiety isn't the complete problem. It's usually the result of a smaller problem that is worked up through this negative thought process right. to so become a major is a problem. Right, symptom of a problem. Right. Even though it's a problem or it's a, you know, it's a symptom that right. someone reports as like a diagnostic, it's anxiety is a result of threat generation of anticipatory anxiety about the future yep. and of the past. People bring their past forward, skip being in the moment and go right to the future and go, well, this happened then, so this means this is going to happen over here. And it's very hard to convince clients and people that the future what-ifs typically, typically, and I mean, I, I like to use never, but it's typically, they don't happen. Yeah. But it's the preparing in your mind for the anticipation of the thought that, oh, that could happen. It's like, well, it, you know, you could go outside and cross the road and get hit, you know, as you know, people, you know, oh, I didn't think of it that way. It's like, well, yeah, but, you know, it's the same thing. It's you're generating this possibility that could happen, but you're spending all your time doing that when you're missing out on everything else because right. you're focusing on that because of something in your past that informed that. Like, I don't tr- like I don't trust people, quote, and then now I'm in relationships and I don't trust people because I didn't trust what happened to me when I was a child. I didn't trust that people would stay. I have abandonment issues. I have attachment issues. And now I'm an adult and I've been through six marriages. Like it's, it's because it 
all connects through and people don't often realize that they it's like childhood was childhood now i'm an adult and they don't touch right but in fact it's all connected in the negative mindset the all or nothing thinking which is the most common um core belief system practice is you know it's either all in or all out and if it's not forget it because it's a really easy strategy for people to get accustomed to to just be like well that didn't work so i'm done i quit well, this I is quit. This is difficult because it's primal, right? Because mm -hmm. this all or nothing mindset that you talk about comes from keeping you alive, your mind keeping you alive. And the all or nothing is, I'm going to die. If this happens, I'm going to die. And right. we don't think necessarily in those terms, you know, the bear in the back of the cave. Right. But we die sense of self. We die, you know, on minor levels. I'm, I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be, you know, so, so it's no the, one's ever going to love me. So, the, so for people that, you know, know a little bit about psych, then what you're talking about would be about fight or flight. So at the primal level, we are always programmed at a hardwired level as being fight or flight. We're either in fight mode to survive or mm -hmm. we're fleeing to survive. And that's what all or nothing does. It protects our mind from dying, essentially. You're not, it's not going to die, but it's right. protecting it from the worst case scenarios of being annihilated emotionally. And, you know, and we run from that. You know, we don't have a bear chasing us necessarily every day, but we have a bear chasing us in our head every day. Um, so it's, well, we it's, have the contemporary societal right. equivalent of a bear. Right, I mean, we exactly. don't we don't think we're going to walk into a room and get mauled by a bear. Right, but, but we do think we're going to be emotionally annihilated in some way. Yeah. So, you know, sarcasm. You know, I was just having this funny conversation over the past week with someone about sarcasm and sarcasm is a wonderful tool for humor and also just fun but sarcasm when it's really intense in some people is a a quick red flag to this person's in a lot of emotional pain because it's a it's a way of utilizing a, a defense mechanism to manage the you know i'm gonna i'm gonna out myself first and show you that i'm gonna be obnoxious about myself before you can hurt me first yep. or i'm gonna put it out there in the world so that you can see that i'm not i've got a good armor on before you can get at me you know it's yep. such a obvious um insecurity flag in someone to say oh you know and sarcasm is you know very commonly used for most people because it's funny but there is a level where it's like, oh, now it's really a strategy that a person's using as coping to manage their core belief system of being inadequate. Um, and it's, it's, you see it so much in, in now. Yeah. More and more. Well, it's a socially acceptable way to express a fear. Well, and, and it's, it's, socially expressing, it's a socially acceptable way of expressing anger. Yeah. Yeah. And and because and, sarcasm oftentimes is anger when it's like, you know, familial and not being just like funny off the cuff or something like that. It's very pointed in a passive aggressive way because it's a way that we've been taught how to manage and get away with addressing something non-directly because if we address, address it directly, it causes too much problem for people emotionally. Yeah. So it's a way of still being able to say something but then being like, but I'm joking. Yeah. Right? So it's like I'm putting it out there, but then I'm going to walk away. Yep. Right? I used to have a friend a long time ago in college would say, oh, you threw the bomb up in the room, and then you walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, let's see how that lands. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. So it's like the mic drop in the room. Like, oh, let's see. So, so all these strategies are, you know, each type of thing you see in the world around you or what you use is your way of coping. And so are you aware of what strategies you use to manage? And if you are, great, because then, you know, if you're a sarcastic person, for instance, you know, are you using it as humor or are you aware that you're using it because it's when certain people are around you and you use it to deflect? And are you aware of that? And so, and what does that mean? So, you know, when you do therapeutic work and you're trying to get over like some of the stuff of your hurts and your emotional worries, you have to be able to look at what defense mechanisms are you using around your negative mindset to then say, am I using it in a way that's healthy? Because some are, and then, or if I'm not, who, when, why, where am I doing it? And can I, is it useful for me to stop it and replace it with something else? Or is it too emotionally exposing? You know, so, you know, it's a huge protector for people. It's, yeah. it's I keep going to family in my head, like, People use these things in <coughs> families so that they don't get emotionally annihilated because, you know, sarcasm is a quick way to deflect actually anything close and connecting. Yeah. 
So, but it keeps people in a negative mindset and you hear people say all the time, like, oh, my, my mom or my dad never said I love you, but they joked about it. Or it's, it's like, well, yeah. So how do you know? Well, because they joked about it. Yeah. Um, but it can never be serious. It's always, oh, well, I'm just joking. I'm just being funny. Mm-hmm. And it's hurtful and people don't realize how much that keeps solidifying negative um, headspaces and how people then perpetuate that into like an interfamilial generational pass to the next set of kids and to the next set of kids. And, you know, you see yep. it so easily in people. You probably, I mean, you probably see it in your own kids, right? You pass stuff and they probably have that stuff or they've, or they've seen it and they oh, break absolutely. the chat, you know, the chain. Um, but it's, it's very fascinating. Cause no, they're too much like me, positive and negative. They, they're too much like you. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a good thing. I guess. Yeah. Again, well, there are positive aspects uh, and negative aspects of that. Do they ever talk to you about it? Oh, well, I mean. In, You'd be like, oh, God, Dad, I'm just like you like that or like in a good way or, or in the bad way? Oh, uh, yeah. What, they, what they'll do is they'll, uh, my daughter especially, she'll say, I, I would channeled you today because she'll talk about an interaction. And she said something that I knew I was going to, that she knew I would have said ah, in the same situation. So she did a, what would he say? Yeah. So uh, she didn't do it consciously, but it just like came out of her, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, oh, I sounded just like my dad. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Right. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And my my son and my daughter, they're like, um, if I have two sides of my coin of my personality, they are those. Uh-huh. You know, my son is very reserved and, you know, doesn't. it's difficult to get into a conversation with him about anything particularly deep. He's very short, curt to the point, not curt, but he's short. He doesn't. We don't have long conversations. Right. We'll exchange two or three texts and we're done. Now, do you think that that's a defense mechanism for him to protect himself emotionally from something? Or do you think it's just his style of speech? I think his mother and I have always thought that he has two lives. He has the lives in the interactions he has with us and then who he is out in the world. And I think he's completely different out in the world than he is with me. Oh, well... I wonder what he would say. I wonder if he's listening. He'll be like, oh, my God, Dad, I can't believe you're talking about me. As he finishes up his psychology degree in UVM. so. Oh. Yeah. Well, there we go. So he probably's figured it out. He ran the world's greatest conditioning experiment on me. Oh. One time. And how'd that go? Oh, God, I almost killed him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. Well, he probably had fun at your expense then. He had a little mini harmonica, and he would blow the harmonica and then punch me in the arm. And about the third time I flinched when I heard the harmonica as opposed to, you know, it's like I knew it was coming. And he just started laughing at me and he was running this psychology. It was about a half hour, but he was running this, you know, conditioning experiment on me. Worked, huh? Oh, it worked. Yeah, it worked perfectly. (laughs) A little Pavlov except with a harmonica and punching. Yeah, exactly. I I find that very humorous. So um, I I guess what we were talking about was uh, identifying your ways of dealing with anxiety and the negative right. mindset and that awareness will not only tell you that you're engaging in it but give you a clue as how to deal with it yeah it was yeah because it gives you the first set if you can identify well first of all identify that you have a negative mindset because a lot of people have no clue they're just like this is who i am what are you talking about <laughs> right so that's first key and then and then realizing how it actually um contributes to anxiety or creates anxiety and then once you realize okay what strategy am I using in my day-to-day life to manage that? Mm-hmm. All or nothing thinking, sarcasm, um, denial. I'm not like that. I didn't do that right. And and what per, you know. So so that's all just the beginning stuff. And then being able to say, okay, when do I use it? Who do I use it with? Because it's very common to be very specific. Mm-hmm. Um. And then there's generalizability to some of it, too. But there would be very specific ways to really look at it and going, this is towards certain types of people, certain types of situations. And therefore, is it useful to me? Is it doing me any good? Or is it creating more anxiety? Or should I change it? You know, so there's a different. So once you get all that awareness piece, which isn't really that hard, you just have to really be honest with yourself. Right. Then... You can actually look at it and go, oh, I need to move that around. I shouldn't be doing that because it's not helping me. And should and shouldn'ts aren't usually part of my language, but in this case, it's it's not helping me, so I shouldn't do it. I'm that way. I'm, I'm probably have a negative mindset with certain people and in certain situations. 
But and it's funny because the joke I always crack about that is, and sarcasm or joke, the joke I always crack about that is I'm not wrong often enough for me to back off that, that feeling. Right. I'm wrong sometimes. Right. But, you know, usually a meeting isn't a good thing. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and there's certain like, you know, so when you talk, so great examples, I think, are like when you talk about staying away from toxic people. Yeah. If you can identify someone that's toxic in your life and you've identified that because when you're around them, they make you feel crappy right away. Mm-hmm. Whether they intend to or not, it's just the feeling that, you know, they're a trigger. So that's where we started. They're a trigger for you to have a feeling that comes from a thought that you're having about them that now creates anxiety in you. Yeah, but don't you have to at that point decide is the trigger, uh, is it me or is it them? Yes. Well, I find myself in that situation a lot. So, yes. I'm getting triggered, but is it more I'm oversensitive to this or? Yeah, I mean, certainly yeah. that's part of it. So let's take like a, a very common example is family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor family, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so family's hard because... Mm-hmm. Y- Family's family. And so we feel a social obligation and a birth obligation to have to be present. Right. Regardless of how we're being treated. Now, I'm not of the mind of that. (laughs) I'm of the mind that if someone is so toxic in your life that it's better to have them from afar than in present, we should do that. Yes. Right? Including parents in some cases because sometimes that needs to happen. Yes, I'm Irish. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. So, so when you have toxicity, is being yes. So having the person in the front in front of you, being able to say, okay, is it them or is it me, in in your internal bubble, and then realizing that over and over, like I have a client, for example, that has every time she's with her family member, I won't identify. It takes maybe, and we did this experiment. How long does it take before you start having the physical feeling like you're going to die, yeah, or sick, or whatever? It was like three, four minutes. And, and then we did, is it you because you're anticipating and nothing's really happening? Or is it really this other person with you? And what we realized after doing this a really long time, because we want to make sure, you know, I said, don't jump out of something just, you know, and it was really the, the person was triggering her because the person was really sarcastic, passive aggressive, hurtful, um, undermining like there are all these but, things that we could identify that were triggering my client to say yep. this is so unhealthy for me and every time I'm around it it takes me two weeks to undo the whole emotional dysregulation I feel that creates this you know when I when I'm done visiting with this person I end up being rude to other people and snappy and yeah. I, I and then she's projecting out onto other people what she's just experienced because she's containing it all because she's supposed to be respectful it's a family member that she's yep. and she and i said you know you don't have to do that you can give yourself permission to not have to do that and it's not hard, have you know, it's to do that people. you mean it's, interact yeah oh, okay it, to that level but or you, to limit the interactions because they're so intense um you know, this is a very shortened version of this, but it's like we've tried, you know, like talking to the person about it. That didn't go well. Yeah. Right. And that's always the first thing is you don't just abandon chip on something. This is like a many year experiment. This sure. It happened in two seconds. This is a person who has so much anxiety in them that was really stemming from this interaction growing up with this person that we tried to address it over and over to see. But the person that's contributing to this problem is so well defended and so good at deflecting back to push it back that yep. don't look at me, let's look at you. That there was no um, reciprocity of being able to say, oh, I, I didn't mean to f- have you feel that way. Let me work on that because I don't want my value of the relationship is more important. That would be the ultimate thing. But these are you bring up one of the tougher situations about this because you have this person and it's usually someone you have to interact with, whether mm-hmm. it be at work or a family member or whatever. Right. And they have that personality. That's the way they are. Right. And, and yes, they are generating the triggers because they are who they are. But you still have the option of not picking up the mantle. In other words, you can interact with this person. Ideally, you can interact with this person, understand who they are, what it is, and give it the priority and the place in your life that, that's appropriate. Right. Like, and I find myself, this is like everything with these situations, you find yourself being able to give advice but not take it. And it's like I run into people. I've got friends with very toxic family members, usually a parent or something. Yeah. And it's like, why are you giving that any energy? I mean, you know, she's going to be that way. She's going to say these things. That's the interaction to be. You go, you get it done, you let it go. 
you drop well, it. You don't give them that power. Because it's hard for people to do that because yeah. people internalize that. And to, to yeah. interrupt you, people internalize it. And it's that's to the example I was giving is that yeah. because many people cannot actively let go. And also... I can say it. I can't do it. I, I understand right. people. It's, it's tough not to take that personally. It's tough not to let it trigger you. Well, and that's yeah. the thing is is that you, so if you're actively the person having it happen to you and right, and you're trying to not have that happen, is that it's, it, it is a trigger. Mm -hmm. And therefore, what does it trigger? And is the trigger that it happens to make so toxic for you that you have to allow for it because they're there's you know it's a parent let's just yeah. go with it. it's easier like okay so your parent your mother treats you poorly over and over again talks poorly to you you oh you just chalk it up well this is the way she is so you have to make a decision like is that really a is that just because it's your mother does that mean she has the right to do that and override your boundaries and level of human respect so you have to weigh that like yeah. Are you going to allow that person just because they have the title? Because if they have the title, they, should they be allowed to do that? You know, oh, I understand, it's, but it's, you still have to interact with your mother in this example. And, yes. you, and you cannot, as you, you try experiments with trying to change your interaction, making them aware of how they trigger you, they don't care. Right. It's, it's just no. innate in them. That's right. how they are. Exactly. Right. Right. And so most of the time, in these cases, people are able to still interact because what happens is what you just said, is people learn that, I'm triggered, I'm going to manage my trigger, and then be done, do the interaction, and be out. Yep. But in several cases over my career, which does, you know, and there's plenty of people out there like this, they have to make decisions that I can love. It's like an addiction. I can love you, but I have to love you from afar. Right. You know, it's like addiction such an easy example to use because it's tangible. It's like someone's using something, they're totally messed up in the head, they're stealing from you, they're neglecting, they're selfish, they're like doing all kinds of crazy things. It's like that's when we can say, oh, forget it, I'm not around right, you. Yeah. Which is the same kind of thing as if someone's emotionally stepping over you and stepping on you and, and oppressing or suppressing you or making it so difficult for you. It's very similar. It's like the same kind of thing. It's like, I can love you, but I can love you from afar. And then there's the situations where the person is saying something and it doesn't mean the same thing to them that it does to you. To you. Yeah, right. You're Perception. triggered by it because it means you're worthless or whatever or not liked or whatever right. it means to you the way they think and the way they deliver it that's it sounds that way to you but that's not what they're doing well exactly and you and you hear a lot of times and and you know some will say well this is what they said and i'll say well, what did that mean and they'll say well it meant this terrible awful thing and and i will generate well could it have meant this or could it have meant that you know whatever and, and sometimes it will be like the person will say oh you know didn't think of that it could be that but when they're when we're just talking like pure like toxic relationships that people are in it's yeah. usually you know it's people will say you don't know because you haven't been yeah. in it so you know it's, and it's like when you hear that that's always my flag of this is beyond what you can see it's kind of like people say oh i love your your aunt she's awesome she's so great and meanwhile yeah everyone knows she's not and until like you actually experience it it's like oh and the now other dynamic about a true toxic relationship is that your reactions and your triggers perpetuate this mm -hmm. and feed it. Right. Well, because it becomes, great example again, like addiction. It's not, yeah. one person in active addiction that's using something isn't the only person in addiction. It's usually the whole family. Same thing in the toxic relationship. You're mm -hmm. addicted you're codependent into the enabling of the of the relationship because when the person that's toxic does what they do and you react yeah. out of emotional response and not just respond right reacting is out of emotion yep. and negative mindset versus that's the reward and reinforcement for the toxic person right so you're yeah. feeling so i always tell clients that they're filling up their person their other person's cup yep so they don't have to instead of just leaving it empty by not responding at all right. or just letting right. it drop. And, and that, you know, and people feel like, but that's, you know, people get in the mindset of, I have to win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Right. Sure. And so, and I say, well, when you have to be right, you're filling up their cup, which makes them come back to you for more because you're their drug. You keep filling them up with every time that they can zing you or give you a comment and put you down or whatever it is, and you come back defensively, you're charging up their cup to say, 
I feel full and satisfied because I was able to bring you down to make myself yeah. feel better. And they'll keep coming back to that well so that you can continue to do that for them. That need to be right in those situations, isn't that the symptom of you don't believe you're right? Well, you you either don't believe you're right or you're doubting yeah. even though you know you're right because you've been gaslit. Yes. Yeah. So, and for people that don't know what gaslighting is, is gaslighting is an is emotional abuse across, a, let's say, a dozen different types of tactics that people use. You know, it's kind of like, I just told you that you're a terrible person. Clearly, everyone heard it in the room. But then when you say, you told me I was a terrible person, you go, I never said that. Right. Yeah. That's gaslighting. Yeah. You know, it's like, so it's like, that's one tactic. It's these different little things that are really... They're covert. They're, you can be a covert or an overt gaslighter. Yeah. And so that happens a lot in, re, in creating like a, a toxic mindset, a negative mindset in people around relationships is that people often are, you know, getting gaslit somewhere. Yeah. And it's dependent on how much is it happening. And are you able to call it out? You know, when I do couples work with people, there's often gaslighting going on. Sure. And then you call it out. And then usually people go, oh. Because <laughs> they don't realize that that's what it is. It's they're they're using a coping strategy to get what they need. It's when you have full blown when we talk like toxic relationships where there's a lot of narcissism and a lot of injury to the ego of someone or both, and yeah. then they're both using it in some way, or or one person's not at all, but the other person's using it as a way to domineer the relationship. Yeah, it's a, it's a prime tool of narcissism. That's gaslighting. right, yeah. and then we have that going on. So yeah. it's 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 quite something, and you see that in couple relationships you see that in family relationships you see that in work environment relationships where people have that um and that often comes into play a lot when you have a person has a negative mindset about themselves so deeply that they're vulnerable and an easy target for yeah. someone like that when you get into a situation someone says something that triggers you of uh, you're not intelligent for right. example right right the person who feels they're intelligent can walk away from that can go okay and just go on the person right. who worries about their own intelligence is triggered by that and has to respond and gets into the i have to be right mindset right exactly yeah. well and and so you know what protects people from not getting sucked into that is resiliency why do some people not get pulled in versus some people do there's self-image there's an emotional yeah. Yeah. resiliency that somewhere i call it emotional yummies when someone has been pulling a person down in their life, there's been another person that's been countering it to build them up in a balance that's built resiliency in the person to not have the self-doubt to go, am I really dumb? Yeah. Do I really, am I really not going to make it? Am I really a failure? So you see a lot of times, you know, kids, you hear cringe. I, I can hear it in my head, like people being like, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. And then there's no one countering right. that. And you can see the depleting in the child. Um and there's not enough of a person on the backside to give emotional yummies to give that support. Right. And then so it that, starts to snowball. And that starts they're to snowball. In school, so by the time school they're in school, they struggle a little bit. They, have, they, they start wor worrying about their intelligence because they didn't get this particular lesson. or Right. Know. Or by the time you see them, like when they're 17, 18, you hear them saying, like, I'm dumb. Yeah. Like just flat out because they're being sarcastic because they're outing themselves first before you find out because you see through them. Right. Like their parent convinced them that they were. And you're like, what? You're not dumb. But then they buy in to it. And that's where you see a lot of people go down the path of like, well, you know, I was always told I was dumb, so I'm dumb. Yeah. And you're like, but you're not. And but that becomes a go to cop out. Like, well, I don't have to do because I'm dumb. Yeah. It's like, ugh. <laughs> right. So there's such a there's so many different ways this plays out. And I imagine that this can touch on lots of people's yeah. thoughts. But it all comes down to like where did you know, you have a negative mindset which people usually know if they do or not. And then, okay, then where did it come from? Because you can't go back and undo it. But what you can do is you can undo it in the moment, in the present. Because you can work on, I how do I not let the trigger in the environment, whatever it might be, the person, the place, the thing, whatever, the, the situation, how do I not let that trigger me to have a thought that's bad about me to then move a feeling that's so terrible that, you know, I withdraw... I run away, I overeat, I drink, what, whatever it is, in excess or, or, or restrict for, for other people. Isn't that, um, I'm guessing the correlation here, 
and it's probably closely tied to cat catastrophizing because mm -hmm. what happens is you get a negative input, whether it be something that someone says to you or a circumstance right. in your life, and then you immediately extrapolate it to um, homeless. Yes. You know, uh, no one's ever going to love me. You know, we're going to get divorced, that type of thing, right to the extreme. And then you're dealing with that as opposed to the small issue that triggered you. Yeah, so it's, it's, so it's, you know, we do Socratic questioning is what we do to get to the core of that is, so if you've heard, for example, um, oh my God, you're so stupid, you're never going to be anything. Okay, so you ask, okay, so you're never going to be anything, and if you're never anything, then what does that say about you, you know, and then the person will say, well, that I'm, I'm worthless. And if you're worthless, what does that say about you? Well, then I'm never going to have a life for myself. And if you never have a life for yourself, what does that mean? That I'm a failure. Well, and you keep, so you, you find out because usually the first thing that comes to a person's mind that they say out loud when you're asking those Socratic questions is that you're finding out really what the trail is to the yep. core center of I'm nobody and yep. I'm going to be homeless. And that's because I was told I was nothing, yep. you know? Uh, so, it, and you find out and, and there's often a very specific theme. I know you do a lot of shows on addiction with people. There's yep. a very specific theme of that often in people who have addiction is that they have at the very core is that sense of shame and worthlessness and just, I'm nobody. And that's prior to the addiction. And way prior. Yeah. Like that's set up in childhood. We were, you were like four, yeah. four, five, six years old of, of emotional neglect or emotional over smothering of being codependent in like authoritarian parenting. And often the addiction is an escape of that thought pattern. Right. Because right. yeah. it's, because what's happening is when, when a parent, for instance, there's parents getting the bad rap, but when a parent is authoritarian, right? So tyrannical, more like do as I say, not as I do. Um, for instance, they're teaching self-doubt. They're teaching dependency on a relationship that's not giving love, but it's giving direction only. And it's very punitive. Right. So the world becomes a harsh, terrible, punishing place if you don't perform well. Well, that sets you up for yeah. a lot of problems, right? Yeah. So, so for a person in addiction, addiction is always looking for connection. So what does a person do when they don't have intimate, intimate, not sexual, but intimate like connections with people that are meaningful, they go to gambling, eating, shopping, drinking, drugging, running excessively, whatever, right? Because they're looking for connection to oneself and to another. Yeah. And when it gets into the space where it's, creating um, intolerance, withdrawal, needing for more, all that, it goes into um, the disconnect from all relationships because one doesn't need that when you have this other thing. But that thing is really damaging to you. And so I'm, you're going back. It's like repeating the family of origin issues because the family member was damaging to you and now you're using a substance to take the place yep. of the connection relationship that's also damaging you. Is this why the virtually the only path out of addiction is a community-based Yes. Community-based recovery, and then why these communities stay uh, so close-knit in recovery. Right. Recovering addicts often become counselors. They are in. They talk to each other all the time. Exactly. It's very tight and close-knit. Right, because yeah. it's where they have support, and they have the trust of the environment that they didn't have when they were taught how to do addiction. Right. And, um, and people are taught. You know, and no one I mean, in those communities is judging them on the addiction. Right, because yeah. everyone's walked the walk and been there. It's a universal, it's a universal shared experience, mm -hmm. which is why group, groups work, like AA and NA and Smart Recovery and all the places where people find the common ground. Because when you go and you listen, if you've ever been to a meeting like that, like you know, Overeaters Anonymous yeah. or Gambling Anonymous or Sex, you know, they all have the same theme, which is they all have a story that has emotional, physical, or sexual trauma in it that's either overt or covert, and then it's transferred over into disconnect from something, someone, somehow, in, in some way, and then it ends up in the problem over and over. So it's not always, everyone has the same landing spot. The stories might be a little different, right. but it's the same experience over and over. It's but the, that shared experience and that commonality creates a very close-knit community, right. something which typically in our society now it, it didn't used to be that way i grew up irish and italian the right. irish and italian communities used to be very tight 
Right. You know, you, there would be certain places you go, and if you walked into them and you were Italian, you you were in. You were in, right. You, know, you, you might as well be a nephew right. at that point, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's right. like that's lacking now generally in society. Right. And that's, and that's why you see, um, you know, talk about helping out negative mindsets is like having places, you know, the whole meetup group phenomenon prior to the pandemic was huge because it provided a place where people that weren't necessarily in addiction – or going to those groups, it, you know, going and joining a group that goes hiking every weekend that you don't know, but now you have a common shared bond and you get connections with people that never existed before, or you go and do art with people, or you, that, that's kind of a phenomenon that grew out of this negative mindset and how to bring people together to be able to have a common shared interest to do something together to kind of keep them connected in a way. It didn't come out of the roots of addiction, but it came out of People are stuck with themselves and not connected. How do you get people connected back in? And this is how they did it. Um, yeah, it used to be very neighborhood based. You'd know you'd know the people right. on your street. You'd play with the kids, and right. it was more community based. There's just so much less of that now. Well, right. And then you add in the pandemic, and everyone's yeah. like completely, you know. As an aside, you know, walking down the walking down the street in the town that I work, and it's you know nobody's you know because everyone's so afraid right now still is like nobody says hi and i always say hi yeah <laughs> you know because because it's it's so important to still connect and people don't make eye contact people are like like eh. so it's such an important piece of correcting for a negative mindset slide so to speak is having connection because the more you're stuck in your thoughts the more that you ruminate on them, the more you create neural pathways that are mm -hmm. more negative, the more you're going to react to them emotionally in a bad way. And then the behaviors follow in suit, whatever matches them. So We touched upon it earlier about uh, not being present. When you're, yeah. when you're dealing with anxiety, it's usually the future you know, or the past, but you're not in the present. And that can be a big key to containing catastrophizing. Right. And, exactly. and managing managing whatever your anxiety is about the ability to stay in the present. It's, OK, well, yeah, you could end up homeless. But where are you now? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and so playing devil's advocate, I have a client that would say, yeah, but if I don't plan for it and it happens. Right. Oh, we're not saying don't plan. Right. Well, so being present and I explain it that, OK, I'm going to use an example of one of my clients has really bad trauma, PTSD. Mm -hmm. He's constantly going back and reliving that, which is what people do with trauma. Relitigating the past. Yeah. Reliving re in hopes to undo it, yep. right? Because it would make him feel better, yep. which he knows logically is not going to happen. And then when we get out of that, he just swing. I always say, you're swinging right by what we're doing right now. <laughs> and he's swinging right yeah. by, And he goes over to, and it's going to happen over here. And if I don't manage it over here, it's going to happen over here. Right. And And I bring him back and swing him back to the center and say... You're nowhere near any of that experience. You have no same environment. You have none of the same people. You'll never see those people ever again. It's never going to happen. We can say it's never going to happen because of the circumstance and context. And what's happening today has nothing to do with any of that. And what's happening tomorrow is not going to have anything to do with that. And so where are you today? And we have to do that over and over yeah. again to keep it because he swings right by over to, you know, like, you know, what if what if my wife doesn't love me? What if? Um, okay, well, but she does. Well, there was this trauma in the past, and right. he's um, do, working scenarios to avoid repeating that trauma. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the scenarios he's repeating, in a you know, which is what lots of people do, is that they really have nothing to do with what had happened to create the trauma. No. But it's all these other things that are catastrophized about because it's unfortunately. Our brain will perpetuate what we already know, so it will repunish us or re-traumatize us because we seek it out. Yep. And people are like, that's crazy. But that's what our brain does is we will go back to – that's why people end up getting into relationships that are similar to ones that they've been in before that weren't good is because we seek out the punishment that we've had in the past. And yep. it's like, you know, kind of sick and twisted. But right. we go with what we know because we don't actively pursue – eliminating our red flags or our toxicity because we don't recognize it or we just stay with what we know. We stay with what you know, you're going to keep repeating, you know. But if you had the 30,000-foot view of this situation, you'd be looking at thousands of scenarios. Some of them would be very good. Some of them would be right. very bad. But our mind is not set up to do that. Our right. mind is set to emphasize the disastrous scenarios right. to avoid right. them. It's fight or flight. It's survival instinct. Right. The mind says there's always a bear in the back of the cave, always. Right. Right. And so because that's a mistake you can't make. 
So, you can you can think there's a bear and there may not be one. You're okay. Right. But if you don't think there's a bear and there is one, you know, that's you can't make that. So mistake. the bear in the cave, right? Because it's true. Is yeah. that so? Through kind of working through that, is you put the bear in the cave. You still see the bear in the cave, but the bear in the cave now has a big cage that can't get out unless you let him out. And so therefore, <laughs> you have if, control. Yeah. So you have control over what's happening right now. And the bear in the and, and of course I hear people in my head going. But there's bears that escape. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's always, you know, well, yeah, working the you know, scenario. I've got a good yeah. scenario in my head of all the people I can hear in my head going, yep. yeah, but, sure. um, yes, but syndrome, I call that. So, but for, for the ability to actually control for this, which you can is you can, you can mentally put that bear in the back of the cave, put a big barrier, you can still see it, and put a lock and be like, you're not coming out, and here's where we are, and fight or flight is real, but. I have a choice. I can be in paralysis. I can be in fight or flight, which is like the level below, or I can be calm. And calm would require me to say, what's the reality, reasonableness, and rationale of right, right now in this moment? Am I in a threat? Is there anyone around me that's threatening me? Am I going to die? Yeah. Is it right? You challenge my three C's capture, challenge, change. You capture the moment, you challenge it with the reality, and then it changes. Instead of just sitting in your, you know, the word yeah. that I, you know, sitting yep. in it over and over again because the bear is running amok in the back of the cave yeah. and you're like going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> Instead of having control and saying, what can you have control over? I put the bear there. I can see him. He's behind the thing. I have the key and I'm not going to let him out because that's fight or flight. Yep. I'm going to go down and just be in the comp space where there's no paralysis. There's no analysis really. And just be like, OK, what's today? Today's great. What am I going to do today? I'm not going to bring the bear out. Yeah. But And it, that doesn't mean it's all so, super easy like that. It's like you have to have that visual. You have to be able to put that in that space so that you can manage the coping strategy <coughs> of catastrophizing or awfulizing like the worst case scenarios constantly because they're not going to do anything for you. So we're back to the, you know, the observer position. Yeah. Yeah. We love the observer I love, position. I love the I observer know, position. That was a, uh, in my personal development that was a life-changing moment being able to achieve the observer position because the mind is barking at you yep. about all these problems and all these possibilities and all these negative scenarios and you can believe that that's reality right or you can set back and go that's my mind barking at me right. now what of what of this is true what do i have to deal with right now what is you know what is reasonable what is rational you know, right. those type of things. Right. And so being able to separate yourself from that that barking that the mind is doing is important. And and what and and well you and I don't know if we did that on air last week. We were talking about that and you gave me the the walking your dog is the dog walking. Uh, yeah. Right? It's the same thing. I'm it's using like, it too much lately, but I think and I, I think people bristle at it, but your mind is is like living with your mind is like walking your dog. Yeah. Your dog is going to be out in the street. He's going to get scared. He's going to be barking at something. He's going to run after a rabbit. He's yeah. just going to react to everything right. in the extreme. Right. And when you're walking a dog, you don't go along with him. You don't chase the rabbit with right. him or start barking when he starts Correct. barking. You understand what he's doing. Right. And you try to calm him down and you try to steer him and you try to, you know, you so try to you, assuage right. his, uh, his anxieties. Exactly. Yeah. So that old man that. is not going to hurt you. Stop barking at him. Let's, exactly. let's keep walking. And yeah. it goes back to the same metaphor that I was using, which I love that metaphor, but it's like instead of swimming up the river that never happens in this, and very rarely a salmon makes it over the top, right? Yep. To spawn. It's, you know, they do, but it's really, you know, it's hard and they die. Then they die. Yeah. <laughs> they die. Yeah. You, you let it, you, it's like the dog. You take control and you let it ride to where it's safe mm -hmm. and calm. Because you put yourself there, you took control of the situation. You put yourself in the raft, you let yourself ride down the river. You didn't have, you didn't drown. It's the same thing. You you don't let the dog run amok yeah. and pull you. It's 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 as if we went on an, on the walk and we thought we were the dog. Right. If we were feeling everything as reality as what the dog was seeing, right. and we don't do that, we stay separated. Right. And too many people think what their mind thinks is reality. Exactly. That thoughts are real. Right. And I am my thoughts. Yeah. Right. And it's right. not. I have this conversation daily with people. Is right. that you are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are not, um, you're, you're manifesting the anxiety yeah. out of what you And who you is. are wants different things and right. is after different things and needs different things exactly. than your mind. Your mind is just trying to keep you alive. Exactly. Yeah. So you get your honorary degree today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You do? Yeah. 
Um, time so, served. What? <laughs> time served. Time served. Yeah. Um, so as a last point before I start to wrap up the show, um, the observing ego is so important. And people, you know, I know it's very cognitive to talk about the observing ego. So I'll take that word out of it. But the being able to really step back and look at yourself is such an important skill, even if you feel that it's, you know, Pollyanna or whatever, like, oh, who cares? It actually serves you a really great purpose because it gives you benefit of evaluating your own situation so much better in life because you're able to step back and go, what am I doing here? What am I contributing? No, it's, How? it's life changing. It's, yeah, it's, it's such an important skill. Yeah. And so many people, and, and maybe this is hard to believe, so many people don't actually have the skill. Like they're capable of doing it, but it's never been it's never been fostered to them or they've never been told, oh, hey, let's self-reflect. The vast majority of people are living in their mind and yes. think that what their mind is throwing out and is... And that that's real. Is real, right. Right. Exactly. And so being able to really have, you know, like stepping back and reflecting on oneself and one's experience is such an important piece to having a better, healthier lifestyle. You know, go back to the wellness wheel. If you yeah. can really self-observe, wow, what a difference it makes in your day, right? Like, how am I... How's my wheel going today? Is it all over the place, or is, is it, or is the dog like squirrel? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's it's really about centering there and saying, okay, what's going okay, and like capitalizing that, and then what's not, and then fixing that because you're observing what's going on. So we'll come back and talk about that a little bit more at nice. some point, yeah. obviously in the next couple of weeks. And I was also going to talk a little bit about um, next time, just so that people know, is attentional deficit disorder, Ooh. because it's such a common diagnostic out in the world with kids and adults and and um and nuances and um does it exist and uh, it, well we'll have to talk about that <laughs> oh i'm gonna prepare now everybody does it exist here comes Lou's. no that was an innocent question that was well i have I that was a student question it, it's a way no student question <laughs> <laughs> Um, it is a, it's a very good question. So yeah. it will be about perception. But yeah, we'll talk about that. But we'll come back to that. And so everybody have a great, beautiful week here in this New England area and wherever you are. And I'll see you next week. Bye.